It's good to see everybody. I want to say good morning to everyone here at our Noonan campus, to everyone who is watching down in LaGrange. I hope you're having a great week. I know many of you started school this week, and if you are watching on Facebook Live, I'm so glad that you're joining us today. I'm really excited about what the Lord is going to be teaching us. We're in the second week of our series, Love God, Love Others. And today we're going to be talking about the purpose for the church. Now this is something I could honestly do a whole sermon series on. I could preach on for a long time. So we're looking at a few practical ways that we find in the New Testament for how God teaches us to, to be as a church, as the church. The Big C Church, and what do I mean by that? South Crest as a church actually falls under the Big C Church as we read about it in the New Testament. This is God's church, and we actually find a few different understandings. You see the word church, as used in the New Testament, the original Greek word is ecclesia, which means the assembly. We also find that the church is applied in the Bible in a couple different ways as we're reading through it. It means all Christians throughout the world. It can also mean the local church, us as the local church. We actually find that there's books in the New Testament written to local churches. I mean, just to name a few examples, you see Corinthians written to the church in Corinth. You see Galatians written to the church in Galatia, just to name a few. And we also find that when we read about the church in the New Testament, it also means those who are followers of Christ past and present. In the New Testament, we also find that the church is talked about as the body of Christ. We see a few different illustrations and analogies as we're reading through the Word of God. It's talked about as a, as a temple, as a building, and it's the bride of Christ as well. One quote I found says this, It's hard to stick with just one metaphor for the church because the New Testament uses so many of them. A family and a fellowship, a body and a bride, a people and a temple a lady and her children. And never does the New Testament conceive of the Christian existing on a prolonged basis outside the fellowship of the church. The church is not really a place. It's a people, God's people in Christ. So as we jump into the New Testament, we actually find Jesus talking about the church in the first book of Matthew. In Matthew 16, 18, we see Jesus saying, I tell you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You see, I think it's important for us to understand today a foundational truth as we begin this message, that Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, is the head of the church. And I love what this verse teaches us here. Because you see, I fear that in the Church of America, sometimes we can get our priorities out of line. What we learn here is that we must be willing to be the church for Jesus to build the church. This is very important for us to understand. We must be the church. Jesus is the one that builds the church. He said right there in that verse, I will build my church. This is Jesus talking to us. You see, this teaches us something that I kind of want us to stick in our mind right now as we go through this message today. The success of God's church does not hinge on the preferences of man, but on the purpose and the power and the promise of our God. That is who the church is, and we can't forget that today. 
You see, but preferences seem to be something that is very big in our culture today. I think we can probably all agree on that, can't we? Recent studies and trends show alarming statistics for people's involvement and engagement in the church, especially in America. One Barna study said this, 20% of millennials say going to church is important. Isn't that a drastic statement right there? 20% of millennials say going to church is important. Statistics from the book Generation Z, The Culture, Beliefs, and Motivations Shaping the Next Generation says, three out of five Christians who don't think church is important say, I find God elsewhere. Another statistic says, one out of five teens chooses a negative or judgmental image to represent the church. These are some pretty telling statements here, and I hope it begins to challenge us today to be who God has called us to be as his church. You see, as we're facing statistics like these in a culture, we must understand while our faith with Jesus is a personal relationship, that doesn't take away from the importance of the church. This is something we get to stand up for. This is something we get to take pride in, to be a part of in these generations today. So what is the draw of the church? Why is it so important and what can we learn from God's word today? I'll be honest, as I was preparing this sermon, God took me down some very practical steps for us to take and actually wrote two messages and some doing one. But I'm excited about what the Lord wants to do today. Let's pray. Lord God, Lord, this morning, God, I pray that you would open our minds, open our hearts, open our ears to hear from you. Lord, I hope we are encouraged and challenged today to be your church. Lord, that we get to live in this world and represent you and your love. Lord, in our community, to our neighbors and to our friends. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's immediately jump to Acts 2 where we're going to begin to see some of the functions of the church, some of the functions of the followers of Christ as the assembly. Look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day... They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord adds to their number daily those who were being saved. Now we're going to go through three reasons pretty quick here. So if you're taking notes, let's jump into it. One function of the church that immediately addresses some of those statistics that you heard just a minute ago is to gather. If you're taking notes, write down gather. This fellowship, we see in these verses, it mentions fellowships of being together. We also see in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, I think it's very interesting here that this verse uses the word habit. The things that are important in our life will become habits, right? We either have healthy habits or unhealthy habits. What this understanding of gathering shows me 
as that the church needs to be a healthy habit in our life. And it needs to be centered around healthy relationships. You see, God created us, me and you, for relationships. First a relationship with himself, and then a relationship with others, those around us, our neighbors, our family, our friends. And you see, when God created us for these relationships, it gives us these opportunities to share his gospel, to show grace to the world, to serve people. And this verse in Hebrews talks about the importance of this type of encouragement that can be accomplished through our meeting together, through our fellowship. I had a buddy this week, uh, we were hanging out, and he had no clue what I was speaking on this Sunday. And he said to me, he said, he came to church on Sunday, and I saw him during the middle of the week, and he said, you know what? He said, when I don't come to, to church on Sunday, I don't feel connected. He's like, when I come, my, my week gets started off better. You know, I feel like I've grown in the Lord and I feel a connection to people. And without him knowing it, I was like, man, you're helping prove my point right here. And why is this? One of these reasons is that we get to encourage each other. We get to love each other. We get to keep each other accountable. We get to serve each other and we get to learn together. You see, humans aren't the only things that God created to enjoy this kind of type of relationship dynamic. Maybe you've watched Animal Planet before or Discovery Channel, something like that, and you've seen things about the emperor penguins. I looked up a couple stats on the emperor penguins. Do you know the emperor penguins, that, that they, they live and they mate in some of the harshest weather in the world? They go to Antarctica to name a few statistics, it says temperatures will get to negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit and below with wind chills of 125 miles an hour and more. The human skin would freeze in seconds in this atmosphere. But as I started reading, it says that the emperor penguins had de developed this social behavior called huddling. That sometimes it's comprised of thousands of penguins. And when they're in these harsh environments, they huddle up. They start touching each other. They get closer and closer together. So that all of a sudden, their fat is what keeps them alive. It's what keeps them warm. They are now close enough to where they're helping support each other. Listen to this. It says, calculations show that a solitary emperor penguin in these conditions could burn up to 200 grams of fat per day to stay warm and alive, while huddling penguins need only 100 grams per day. Without huddling, the emperor penguins could not survive in this climate. Think about this for a moment. God created these penguins to understand, man, you need each other. You're not going to be able to withstand this world you're trying to live in unless you have the support, encouragement, and help from others. Do you know that as humans, God created us the same way? God created us to be a body, to be a family, to be together, to help each other out, to support each other, to carry each other and encourage each other in these moments. You see, we gather together for this type of unity, unity in the Lord, and to support each other. One verse I love is found in Ecclesiastes. It talks about a cord of three strands. Do you know, if you look at a rope, it's, it's woven together by many different strands. And if you have just one strand, if you undo it, one strand breaks really easy. 
but the more you put another strand around it, it becomes stronger and it becomes exponentially stronger every time you weave a strand around it. Now the Bible is telling us that's what relationships are like in our life. That we have each other to lean on, to look to for support and encouragement, to pray with us, to help motivate us in these moments. You see, the moments of gathering together as the church hold great benefit for the whole, but and as individually. Do you know why people stay connected to the church? Relationships. That's why people stay connected to the church. It's that fellowship. You know, just out of curiosity, and by a show of hands, I want to ask you, here in Noonan in LaGrange, by a show of hands, how many of you were invited by someone to come check out Southcrest? Look at the hands going up all over the room. You were invited by someone to come check out this body of Christ. These relationships are important. Now, you may be here today. Maybe it's your first time. And you're here and you're checking out, man, what's the worship like? What's the preaching like? What's the kids area like? And you know, I've had many conversations with people who are are coming to look at those certain things, but they ultimately make their decisions by the connections they make within the church. You see, to prove my point, I looked up another study and it specifically pointed out the millennial generation. Again, it says the first factor that will engage millennials at church is as simple as it is integral relationships. It also says those who stay were twice as likely to have a close personal friendship with an adult inside the church. We have to have these type of relationships. And I fear that sometimes we look at the church as a place that to to meet our needs instead of a place that we get to come and be involved that we get to be plugged in, that we get to build up the body as we're going to learn that the Bible teaches about today. And I want to say a few things to you. People will ultimately far outweigh our preferences. Get connected. If you call Southcrest home, be a connector. You see, it's easy for preferences to turn into religion. People turn into relationships. We can't let our preferences turn into our religion when God has called us to a relationship with him and with others. You see, I pray the church and our church is recognized by Jesus Christ and recognizes his people and not our preferences. Fellowship produces friendship. Friendship turns into family. And the church of Jesus Christ should be a faith family that supports each other through his love. You see, this concept of relationships doesn't only apply to the corporate meeting, but it also applies to us individually, way outside these four walls. This became very real to me and Lauren over this past week. Um, You know, what many of you might not know is that that for a while now, Lauren, her body just hasn't been feeling 100%. And it's something that we've now gone to, to many different doctors for. She's been very fatigued. Uh, and, and you know, doctors are running different allergy tests, food tests, things like that, testing different things within her body. And, and it's been something that we're trying to, to, to find the right answers. We've been praying for a long time. And she's recently gone to a new doctor, which is testing like adrenal glands and things like that and looking at different allergies, whatever it may be. And, you know, as, as you begin running these tests, it becomes something that 
becomes very difficult on your budget. And last week, without us knowing it, we didn't ask anybody. In the mail, we received two separate letters. And in those letters, there, there was some money. And it said, we are family. We're the church. We love each other. We support each other. We pick each other up. We see a need and we meet that need. We love you. That is who the church is. That is who we're supposed to be as the people of God. Is that we look around at each other. We're willing to pray for each other, laugh with each other, cry with each other, support each other. As we go throughout this world, these are intentional relationships that God calls us to. So I want you to ask yourself, have you made gathering, have you made fellowship, have you made these relationships in your life a priority for your understanding of the church? Another function of the church, if you're taking notes, write this down, is to grow. We see in Acts 2.42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We also see in Ephesians 4.11 through 16, it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, another word for grow right there, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, body of Christ, that is the church, the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You play an important part in the body of Christ in his church. Maybe you need to hear that today, that you are important to God's plan in his kingdom. You believe, I know it's very purposeful that these verses use yet again the word unity. We've now seen it a couple times, and verse 16 is so important. It says, For him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. This shows the importance of every single one of us to God's plan. This This is how God was describing you in these verses. That we all are like a body part to a body. That the only way a body grows healthy is when we grow together. But listen, we can only grow where we are planted. Another analogy the Bible uses that helps us understand the importance of growth is like a plant. Look at one John 15, 5 through 8 says. It says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. This is great application to our need for understanding how to grow in our faith. And it really pairs so well with the understanding of the body of Christ. 
We just read a minute ago how, how Christ is the head of that body and that the body grows from that. And now we see this example of the vine and the branches. But I love how it uses the phrase multiple times, remain in me. I love how personal that is. Remain in me. And do you know what this shows me? Growth takes consistency. It wouldn't have been put in the Bible right here if God didn't want this consistent growth in our life where it says, remain in me. That's not a word of option. That's a word of purpose right there. Remain in me. We have a huge uh, flower pot right at the front door of our house. And our girls love to water the flower pot. But the important thing is when they remember, okay? How many of you are just terrible at watering your flowers, at watering your plants, okay? The only time that we remember is when we walk by it and we're like, whoa, okay, thing's not looking too good right there. And guess what? The girls, they, they love it. They go get a big pot of water. They fill it up. And then you come back a little while later and what happens? The flowers, they start coming back to life. They start blooming. But if you were to ask me like, man, that, that flower pot looks great. If you were to walk by, like, how do you do that? Would I say that those flowers are healthy? No. Because I know what they look like on a regular basis. They normally don't look like that. You see, growth and health takes consistency. We must continually see ourselves as the church. Listen, this growth and consistency I'm talking about is not only something that we view as a Sunday morning. We have to view ourselves as the church every single day. God calls us far beyond the four walls of this church. He calls us to our neighbors. He calls us to be his love, to be his representatives to the world. And so I want to ask you, do you have that mindset of consistency in your life? That God, I want that growth. I want that personal growth and I want that corporate growth together. You see, as I talk to people and they say, man, I'm just struggling with this and that. Normally you can trace it back to how are you growing in Christ? How are you growing together with people who can support you and encourage you? Let's be a people who are committed to the growth. You see, there's a difference between I go to church and I am the church. Let me say that one more time. There's a big difference between I go to church and I am the church. I pray that we get the mindset as followers of Christ that I am the church because that is who he is calling us to be. You see, church is not only a place but it's something that we get to experience and show the world the love of Jesus Christ. God didn't create us to go to church. God created us to glorify and honor him and he wants us to grow as the church. Once we understand these importance of gathering and growing, then we'll understand this last one. If you're taking notes, write down the word glow. As the body of Christ, his church, we get to reflect and be this representative, as we've talked about, for his love. You see, the Great Commission tells us to go. Go into all the world. 
This is something Jesus talked about as, as neighbor. I know you can, sometimes we can hear that word world and like it almost cripples us. Like, oh man, what, how am I supposed to go to the world? Jesus translated to neighbor. Preaching the gospel, baptizing, teaching people to obey. But here's where I got this understanding of glow. Let's read a city on a hill from Matthew 5, 14 through 16. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, this reminds me of a song I learned as a little kid. How many of y'all know what I'm about to sing? This little light of mine. Come on. I'm going to let it shine. One more time. This little light of mine. Come on, get into it, people. I'm going to let it. What does the next part say? Hide it under a bushel. No. No. That's right. LaGrange, I hope you're singing along with us. God has given us the light of the world. We have the power of Christ living inside of us. You know, when Jesus left this earth, he said, I'm sending someone to you that you will do great things. I believe that we get to be this incredible beacon of hope as we reflect the love of Jesus. You know, this concept of, of going public with our faith, of being this bright and shining light, being this city on a, a hill that people can look at as an example, maybe this is where you're kind of starting to get a little stressed. Maybe so far you've been tracking along with me. Okay, I mean, practically, I, man, I understand the importance of us gathering together as fellowship of, of a body of believers. All right, you know, I know I got to grow in my faith. I know that I can't become complacent with where I am, but I need to continually every day in my relationship with the Lord desire to know him more. But man, this being a, a city on a hill, a light on a lampstand for, the, for, for my friends to look at, for my family to look at, I mean, I don't know if I'm there yet. I know it can be difficult. This is where I wrote two messages uh, for the sermon this week. Actually, I, I was preparing for this and, and God, as I was writing and, and reading and studying, God kept putting Abraham and Isaac on my mind. I was like, God, why in the world are you putting Abraham and Isaac on my mind? That has nothing to do with the church. So I just kept writing and the next day, he put it on my mind. The next day, he put it on my heart. One day, I was reading my quiet time, and, and I stopped in the middle of it. And I prayed, God, all right, if you're wanting me to talk about Abraham's life, you've got to show me. You have to show me exactly what you want me to talk about. I prayed. I continued reading my quiet time. I was in Isaiah 40. I read verse 9. You see, I think that we, we kind of view ourselves sometimes in the valley, and we look up at that mountain. I'm supposed to be up there. I don't know how I get up there. And Isaiah 40 verse 9 says, You who have the good news, climb the mountain and shout it out loud. Let the world know. And I was like, all right, God. <laughs> okay. And here's where this connects. Let's start reading. I read the story of Abraham and Isaac multiple times. Abraham had been promised by God, you'll be the father of many nations. But his wife, Sarah, never had children. Never. And so they didn't know how they were going to do this. How in the world are going to be the father of many nations? They somehow rationalize their sin. They decide to have Abraham sleep with another woman so she'd get pregnant. Okay, God, we'll try to fulfill your promise through sin. Guess what? That never works. Okay? 
finally, it says in their old age, that's the way the Bible talks about it, that Sarah becomes pregnant. They have a son named Isaac. It says later on, we look in Genesis 22, and man, I mean, what a powerful and crazy story. You see in Genesis 2 that it's titled, Abraham Tested. And we see that it says, God calls out, Abraham, Abraham. He says, here I am. He says, I want you to take your son Isaac. And in the Old Testament, they had to make sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was going to be coming later on as the the final sacrifice for their sin. But you're going to hear about his hope and his purpose. But but God says, take your only son Isaac. And is it surprising that God says only son Isaac? It's not that, that God didn't see Ishmael. It's that God saw his promise. Okay, He said, take your only son Isaac. I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah. And I want you to sacrifice him to me. What? God would say that? You gotta be kidding me. It says Abraham sets out on the journey. It was a three-day journey. Scholars believe it's 50 to 60 miles. Can you imagine what is going through Abraham's mind in this moment? Every step, he hasn't told his son what they're doing. His little boy is right beside him. They make it there. I love the details of the Bible. It says he takes the wood for the offering and hands it to his son Isaac. And he says, you carry this. And they're about to have to go from the valley to the mountaintop. Just maybe where you feel like you're at. How am I supposed to be the city on a hill? I don't feel like I have it all together. They're about to have to go from the valley to the mountaintop. And one detail in the Bible tells us, it says that Abraham was carrying the fire. What this would have been is it would have been an ember that he had to carry in a little container. Can you imagine? Abraham felt like he was carrying death in his hands. And do you know what he would have had to do? With every step, he would have to breathe on that to keep it alive. Did he feel like he was a key, keeping alive death while he's sitting here looking at his son who is life? But do you know what I believe Abraham did in this moment? Abraham had never seen God raise somebody up from the dead. But I believe Abraham believed in the power of God and what God could do instead of what he could do as a human being. I believe with every step he's holding that fire. And he's going, God, I believe you. God, I trust you. God, I don't understand, but I'm going to be obedient to you. He's looking over at his son saying, God, God, you promised me. And I believe you can do it. And God, show me this. Listen up. Please hear this. LaGrange, hear it. If you're watching online, hear this. Here's what God wanted me to teach myself and us as the church through this story. Every step we take from the valley to the top of the mountain, as the church corporately and as the church individually has to be a step of obedience. Are you being obedient to the Lord today? You might not know what that mountaintop looks like yet, but are you taking that step going, God, I trust you. God, I can't see what's next, but I believe in you. God, you're my guide. Because listen, the greatest example you can set, which is why we're described as a city on a hill, is your obedience to Jesus Christ. Are you being obedient to the Lord and what he's called you to? Listen, 
The church is called to sacrifice an offering of obedience. Obedience outweighs our preferences. Obedience outweighs our agenda. Obedience outweighs our comfort. It outweighs our calendars. It outweighs our excuses. That's how we're being a city on the hill. That's how we're going to be this light on a lampstand. Is where we're willing to go, God, I might not see it yet, but God, I trust you. God, I'm going to be obedient to you. Take it one step at a time, but let every step be a step towards obedience. Deuteronomy 5, 32 through 33 tells us this. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. As the church, let's stand on this promise. Let's stand in obedience and in the goodness of God. You see, there's some of you in here who you're hearing these stories and you're like, man, I gotta hear more. I mean, what is this all about? And I wanna tell you that there's another man in history who was obedient, who came as our final sacrifice. We just heard that story about how Abraham was supposed to sacrifice Isaac. Guess what? He went to sacrifice Isaac and God said, stop. Don't sacrifice your son. I know you fear me. I know you love me. I know you'll be obedient to me. But you know what God later did? He sacrificed his only son. He did it. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross for you for me, for our sins. You see, our sins separate us from the love of God. But that's not what he wants. He doesn't want us to spend eternity in hell for the punishment of our sin. But because of his grace and his love and his forgiveness, when we ask him to be our Savior and Lord, we get to spend eternity with him in heaven. Listen to how Jesus was obedient. Philippians 2.8 And being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God was obedient for us. How is God challenging you today to be the church? How is God calling out to you today? Is he calling to you saying, I love you. I created you for this. I created you for this relationship, but you first must have a relationship with him.